0: Well, if you take your Bibles out with me, we're going to continue into the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're still in the first chapter. I'm going to adjust this down just a little bit. Um, We're still in the first chapter of Mark, and if you were with us last week, we saw Christ in the synagogue interpreting Scripture for the people there, and then casting or exercising a demon uh, from the midst of the crowd in the synagogue. And I challenged us to, to really consider what things may be possessing our hearts, our minds, our perspectives, our words in the world. I compared it to infatuation and other things that can really possess our whole selves. Um, and I really thought about that this week. And one of, the, one of the challenges that John Wesley gave his society groups, his Sunday school groups, was this question. He'd asked them a whole list of questions, but I'm only gonna repeat one this morning. He said, what's the greatest source of information that competes with the Bible in your life? What's the greatest source of information that competes with the Bible in your life? I I don't know about you, but I have this really annoying app on my phone that tells me how long I spent on my phone. It gives me a weekly report of how long I spend scrolling through social media, surfing the Internet on on whatever app that I spend. It, It just it breaks it down to how long I spend on apps on my phone and it's really a mirror at the end of every week and in fact it actually gives me the report every Sunday morning i think to convict me right it's the it's a way of of convicting me of how long i've spent my time and as i was challenged by last week's scripture readings i really had to ask myself what sort of information is competing with my scripture study with my time and devotion and prayer, with my time listening to those who are well-versed in understanding theology and the, the, the components, the disciplines of my faith? How long do I spend with that information compared with the information of other sources? I think it's an important question for us all because I, I gotta be honest with you. As a pastor, I maybe get 20 to 30 minutes of a sermon once a week. That's if people attend on Sunday mornings. And and sometimes that's if the spirit really resonates with their hearts and they stay engaged with that sermon. Well, they'll go home and and then click into their favorite news sources for the rest of the week. Their favorite YouTube channels or their favorite Instagram influencers or TikTok or wherever you get your information. Can one pastor for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning compete with that sort of onslaught of information the whole rest of the week? My deep question to myself is what is discipling me? Is it a spiritual mentor? Is it a pastor in my life that is discipling my theology, discipling my perspectives of the world? Or is it my news channels? Is it the the Instagram influencers? Is it my YouTube channels? Is it my social media input? What is competing with scripture study in our lives? Because really, we are giving permission to that information to possess us. And we as Christians, we want to be possessed by the perspective, the heart, the love, the peace, the mercy, the joy, the self-control, the the meekness of Christ Jesus. That's our desire to be possessed by that. And so I want you to remember that challenge as we go into Mark chapter 1 today. We're going to read about Christ's first healing in, in Mark's gospel Mark chapter 1, 29 through 39, he has just cast out the demon in the synagogue, and we're going to hear about his first healing. I'll also be reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles with me, follow along as I read this for us today. Just after leaving the synagogue, Jesus, James, and John went home with Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law, in bed, was sick with a fever. And they told Jesus about her immediately. He went to her, took her by the hand and raised her up. The fever left her and she served them. That evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons, more exorcisms. But he didn't let the demons speak, again, keeping the demons silent, because they recognized who he was. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. Let this be a word of the Lord. If you can't tell, casting out demons is one of Jesus' favorite activities in his ministry so far, along with healing and proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And so those of us who have such great authority with scripture, we need to ask ourselves these questions. What, in what ways has Jesus healed us? In what ways has Jesus restored honor in our lives? And how has the kingdom of God come near or is trying to come near in our hearts and lives and in the world around us? Well, I really wanna just start, at the beginning of this passage and just work through it uh, together this morning. First, we, we understand that Jesus is just coming from the synagogue where he cast out demons, where he let the possession of those demons be driven from their midst. And that has several implications because then they can hear the word of God interpreted rightly from a spirit of love, from the Holy Spirit, rather than being possessed by any other evil perspectives. But then they're going to one of the houses of the disciples, and this is the first time we hear about Jesus healing anyone. And I want to point out two Greek words for us this morning. Mark tells us that Jesus raised up uh, Peter's mother-in-law. We don't really get a background of how severe this fever is or how long she's been sick. We only know that she is bedridden because of this fever, so I assume it's, it's a severe sort of fever, much like the sickness that has been just ravaging our, our world lately. She is in bed and unable to move. And Jesus, Mark tells us, raises her up. And, and that, that Greek word there isn't just uh, communicating physical healing. It does that. But a deeper meaning of that Greek word is that he restores her. It's not just physical restoration, although that's part of it. It's honor restoration. It's call restoration. She has a deep desire to be engaged in the community around her. I know that we've probably all had moments like this, but remember a time in your life where you felt like you were just stuck? You couldn't express your call. Maybe you were sick that day. Maybe you had been sick for a long time. Or there were other things that were standing in your way from being fully alive or fully engaged in your family, in the world around you. And you just felt like you were a prisoner to that reality. Well, Jesus comes to restore this nameless, we're not given her name, this nameless woman. Restores her to a position of honor and integrity in her community to allow her to re-engage her family and the culture around her. She's not just restored physically, but restored with dignity and honor in her community. This shows that Christ's desire, his number one priority in bringing the kingdom near. He first preached in the synagogue and he doesn't go with the elite religious group or the political elites of Jerusalem. No, he goes to Peter's household, to his nameless mother-in-law and raises her out of bed. As, As if he's saying, this is the sermon I've come to bring to the world. Good news to the poor, liberation of the captives. Then he sets the scroll down and he goes to this backwater home where no one is around and heals her and restores her to honor. If that shouldn't give us hope this morning, I don't know what will. Christ is dedicated to the least and the lowly, to restore them first and foremost, to honor, to dignity, to physical health and healing. That's Christ's deep desire. And then that next Greek word, I told you there's two of them. The next Greek word comes right after that. It's she served them. Now, I read this and I feel my first read through, if I'm honest, felt really self-serving. As if Jesus, a male, comes and heals the mother-in-law just so that she can get up and serve the rest of the dudes of the household. And he only healed her so that she would serve them. But that's not actually the way the Greek works in this text. The way the Greek works is the same word ascribed when Jesus says, I have not come into the world to be served, but to serve, is the same Greek word used here for her serving of them. That it's a service of integrity, of honor, of full engagement of her call of herself in this task of serving it's not just bringing food to the table or giving them something to drink it's the full engagement of her value and integrity being poured out out of love for other people the same love that Christ has come in the world to serve so instead of my, my bad reading first run through of thinking that it's somehow just a sort of servant role over her, no, she is put on the same level of service that Christ has come to bring in the world. Later on when we read about the healing of the leper, it's the same healing that he is re-engaged in the covenant people from sickness to health, from despair to honor and integrity. He is restored into the covenant people in a place that makes them fully alive. One of my favorite saints to read is Saint Irenaeus. If you haven't read him, please do that. But one of his famous quotes is, is that the glory of God is humanity fully alive. The glory of God is humanity fully alive. And if we see this text in the clearest sense, Christ is bringing humanity not just so that they exist, but that they fully live and fully thrive in the call and the created order that God has intended for all of creation. That God's glory is shown when humanity can fully live. And we can't ignore that preaching the gospel doesn't just mean spiritual salvation. It doesn't just mean a ticket to heaven. Our salvation in Jesus Christ includes physical healing. It includes restoration in our communities. It includes the restoration of honor to those that the community thinks nothing good about. It includes the liberation of people that our communities systemically oppress financially through through the th- racially through economic choices, through warfare. How are our cultures oppressing those? That question is important to Christ followers because christ's kingdom coming means liberation of the oppressed it means setting the captives free it means physical well-being and health care it means spiritual salvation and salvation of our reality around us restoration of call and dignity of human life i've heard it put so many times that christ is heaven come to earth Christ's mission is to bring heaven and earth as one. And so the church's call is to embody heaven on earth as well, to embody Christ on earth, to bring about the fruit of Christ's kingdom come near. So we have this incredible restoration of honor, of this call into covenant service like Christ came to serve in the world And then Mark goes on and says that evening at sunset, which may sound a little redundant, but we have to remember that this is the Sabbath. And Mark is trying to say he's not working on the Sabbath. He's keeping that day holy. It's at sunset. So he's still acknowledging the tradition of Sabbath. So that evening at sunset, people brought to Jesus those who were sick and demon-possessed. And so Jesus not only does this for Peter's mother-in-law, but all of these other people that we will never know their name. He heals them, he drives out demons, and he proclaims the coming of the kingdom of God. My friends, this season, through this pandemic, Uh, season, through uh, political uprising, through uh, uh, this mass global conversation of racial oppression. I don't know about you, but there are so many opportunities to feel stuck, to feel like we can't express our true calling as Christians, because there's so many voices out there saying what Christians should be and should do, that we've kind of feel trapped in this narrative box to where we can't express who Christ really truly is calling us to be. I felt that as a pastor. I'm sure you felt that as a disciple. I have felt like a nameless person, stuck, unable to fully realize my call. And I know I'm not alone. I know that you have felt that way as well. There are so many people in the church right now wondering, questioning their faith, questioning Christianity as a whole, questioning the church because of what has been done in Jesus' name in 2020. Because of some of the most hurtful, wounding things that have been done in the name of Christ. We can feel nameless. We can feel stuck. We can feel possessed by all of these encroaching narratives in the world. But Jesus is still among us. Jesus is still wanting to come in close to us and not only heal us from those wounds, not only walk alongside us in our deconstruction, but walk alongside us in the reconstruction of our faith. Not only walk alongside us in our wounds, but walk alongside us in our healing as well not only walk alongside us when we feel like we are just so stuck in the defining narratives of how people and what they have done in the name of Jesus Christ, but he wants to bring about a reformation, a redemption of who we are as the church in our culture. One of my favorite authors, Valerie Carr, says, What if this is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb? And we are not going to a place of death, but a place of rebirth. We as Christians have to hold on to that. That we are not as the church going into the darkness of the womb, but we are going to allow these things that have so defined us and so held us back that we allow them to die because we are a resurrection people and we know that death has to happen for resurrection to come and we are dying we are we are hoping and hurting in the labor pains to give birth to a new reality in our culture to give birth to what to be reborn to be to be called into who Christ has really called us to be in our culture our time is ripe for rebirth and renewal And if we know anything in this passage, it's that Christ is a God who brings about healing and is willing to cast out the evil from our midst so that we can be fully alive to the glory of God. After he heals this crowd, he heals many in front of him. You know, Jesus could have used this opportunity to shine the spotlight on his influence. And what does Jesus do? He... goes to a deserted place to pray. He, again, models how we are to handle fame and intrigue. He removes himself from the spotlight to make sure that he is shaped by the one true holy God in prayer. With our, our understanding of social media and widespread fame in our world today, it can be easy to leverage our helping of other people for our own gain. We can post on social media or we can talk about how we're helping people in our culture and pastors are so susceptible to this temptation that we can help people to leverage our own influence in the world. But we here don't see that in Christ. He withdraws actually to prayer to be in solidarity with God. And the Greek here says that the disciples were intensely, intensely searching for jesus and they finally find him in prayer and he's like they're looking for you your fame is going about the community and what does he say let's go in the other direction (laughs) he he literally says uh, early in the morning well before sunrise jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer simon and those with him tracked him down When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. Why? Because it's fame is spreading throughout the community. You can't go and cast out demons and heal people and not feel like people are not going to take notice of you. That's why I've come, he says. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, throwing out demons. He could have stayed in Capernaum and built his power and influence, but that's not why he was there. He went to the other backwater villages, searching out the least and the lowly to set them free, cast out demons, and proclaim the forgiveness of sins and the soon coming kingdom of God. I can't, I don't think we can make it any simpler than what Mark is trying to communicate to us here, that the kingdom of God brings about total and absolute redemption in the world, and Christ's Followers need to see that fruit in their worship of Jesus. That if our discipleship in Christ is not bringing good news to the poor, liberation of the captives, setting free of the oppressed and marginalized, and bringing comfort to the broken hearts of the world and forgiveness of sins, are we even following Jesus? If our Christianity isn't bringing those things in the world Do we even have the honor of Christ's name over us? Are we even disciples of Jesus? So my challenge for us today, where have you seen Christ's healing in your life? When has God restored you to honor? When has Christ restored you to honor made your call come alive. Hold on to those things because if you feel stuck, if you feel nameless, if you feel like you are just obsolete and your call is not being fulfilled, hold on because Christ knows your name and is coming to restore you to honor and engage you in the work of God's transforming mission in the world. But don't just stop there. Know that Christ is always also calling us into the places of nameless people, calling us to restore them to dignity and to honor, to let their calls come alive and to thrive in the world around us. My friends, I'm convinced that that's the call of the church. I want to see 2021 and beyond, see the fruits of the church be preaching good news to the poor and actually having it be good news to the actual poor and to see the liberated, the the oppressed liberated, the captives set free and forgiveness being preached to the sin of the world around us. I want to see that fruit come out of those who call themselves Christians in the days ahead. I hope that's your prayer and I hope that you'll be praying fervently for those fruits to be sown and reaped in the years ahead. I so appreciate you giving your time and attention to the scriptures this morning. It's always such a joy and honor to open the the scriptures with you and study them together, interpret them together so that we might draw closer to Christ. My desire this morning is if you heard anything really terrible, that's on me. If you heard things that were filled with grace and with power, that is in Christ alone. That is from the Holy Spirit. So would you would you join with me in prayer over what we've heard this morning? Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would come and quicken our hearts to remember those times in which you have healed us, restored us to honor, and call us to do the same in our lives, Lord God, that where we feel like there are nameless people, we might be found among them. We will contact them. We will engage with them, Lord God so that they may understand a fuller life that is possible in you. Lord, would you quicken the church to see your fruits of righteousness, to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit just so tangibly known in the world through your church. Lord God, give us grace and also boldness in pursuing the example that you left for us as your disciples. We build our hope in you. And as we walk forward in the light of your kingdom, help us in the places that we doubt and build the faith that we have, Lord God, so that we can continue to work towards your truth and be shaped by your power. In Christ's powerful name, we ask these things. Amen.